The song we just sang sets up the lesson quite wonderfully. Living for Jesus, being willing to forsake all other things. Are you living for Jesus? Have you forsaken all else? The question has come, and it fits very wonderfully with our first section of Scripture reading, which is Matthew 1 through chapter 11, as we attempt to read together as a church, as a congregation, as a group of people, and what wonderful blessings I think we will enjoy if we will do this, um, to read the New Testament together by the end of the year. So the reading schedules are in the lobby. If anybody else needs one, please grab one. It will never be too late to catch up, but I want you to not get behind, and I encourage anyone who has been able to complete the lessons, make sure that you check your name off out in the lobby, on the board, and we're just going to keep pushing each other and encouraging each other to read together uh, through God's wonderful word, because we know that man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus told us, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So here are some words that proceedeth, proceeded from the mouth, the mouth of God. And we find this passage in uh, Matthew chapter 8. And I want to read the particular verse in question. And you can look a little bit more at the context and you'll just see this is about... We're talking about commitment to Jesus and about our faith that we have in Christ Jesus. And so, so first we're going to read Matthew chapter 8, just, just verses 21 through 22. And in having several of you, having or maybe all of you, having read through the entirety of Matthew 1 up to this point, I hope it just rings true. Jesus comes preaching and teaching, inviting people to come follow him as he proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God that's right at hand. And it just it just fits so well with the entirety of the book of Matthew up to this point and even to the end. So Matthew eight twenty eight Matthew chapter eight, verse number twenty one. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. And we pause and we look at this and we hear a man who was saying, let me bury my father and then I'll come follow you. He's willing to follow, it sounds like. It seems very clear as we read it. But he's got something very worthy in our minds. It seems that he should do, he should do first. He should take care of this business of burying his father. So what on earth is Jesus talking about? This is one of those passages that um, as we turn and look at this scripture, uh, our Bible answers always come from the Bible, but I have to turn to some commentary and to discuss some things that are not necessarily apparent in this uh, scripture, and there are a couple of couple of explanations. But before we get to the explanation, I'm actually going to use the parallel passage from Luke chapter nine. 
for the commentary part. So I've got some commentaries. I'm going to show up here in just a second. And I want to use the commentaries from Luke 9, 59 and 60. I think you'll see, though, that these are, as indicated, parallel passages. The same incident is being described here. So in Luke chapter 9, verse number 59. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So here, are, here is what we have. These two passages. And there, as I said here, there are two explanations one explanation, well, you know, and probably somebody else would have another explanation, but I didn't even include that one. The first and foremost explanation is to take it very literally. Someone's father has died, and um, the, the body is yet to be buried, and he needs to go and bury his father. So I don't think that's the case. I should have included that as one of the possible explanations because I reckon it's possible. I don't think it is. I think there are two explanations that likely give the correct answer or interpretation for us as we consider the words of Christ. Number one, some would say that the father is not even dead yet. The father is not even dead yet. It, it, to me, it, it brings um, uh, recalls to mind this idea of the prodigal son. When Jesus tells that story in the prodigal um, well, the, the younger son says, Father, give me my inheritance. He is, you know, he's wishing his father dead, and he's going to go on his way. And so there's, uh, there's this idea that, well, the, he's already thinking about his father being dead and um, dying sometime soon. He wants to stick around for that event. Maybe even he should stick around for that event, according to his, his thinking or to the, uh, the cultural mindset of the time. I'm going to quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary right here, and you're going to see it. All right, so this is the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Um, and according to the passage from Luke 9, 59 through 60, and they give, um, both of the commentaries I'm going to quote, they give similar commentary for the Matthew passage. I just felt it was a little more full and a little more applicable to us today from the Luke passage. Here it is, Luke 9, 59 through 60, Bible Knowledge Commentary. Jesus called the next man with the same words which he had called his disciples in chapter 5, verse 27 of Luke. The man's reply that he first wanted to go and bury his father has been variously interpreted. Some maintain the man's father was dead already. It would seem strange if that was the case, for he would certainly have been engaged in the burial procedure already. It is more likely that the man's father was ready to die. Okay, so I'm going to pause here just for a second. So he, so this this commentator, this author is saying, you know, the the if the man had already died when he's coming to talk with Jesus, he wouldn't have been talking with Jesus. It is very unlikely. Okay, if if somebody died in that culture, they would bury them maybe within hours. If if not, then the, by the next day they would have the person um, in in the tomb. All right. 
So, so it's unlike if somebody dies, you don't just say, well, I got to go off and think about this for a little while. No, everything takes place right away. So it, it would be, he's, they're saying it would seem strange if that was the case, he would have been engaged in the burial procedure. And you're engaged in the burial procedure until it's done. And so that is, that's a good, that's a good thought and that is true. Okay, so he, say, so he says it's more likely that the man's father was ready to die, almost going to die. His request was to let him, and if you can see, I'm not going to start. His request was to let him wait just a little while before following Jesus. Perhaps the man also wanted to receive the inheritance from his father's estate. You know, so maybe, it, well, Jesus' response let the dead bury their own dead implies that the spiritually dead can bury the physically dead. That point was the point was that proclaiming the kingdom of God was so important that it could not wait. Of course, if the man had left and followed Jesus, it would have caused a scandal in the community. So pause there, just a second. If, if your father's about to die, that's what he's saying. If your father's about to die and you just take off and leave, um, that would not have happened in this place and time. It would have been a huge scandal. But that was less important than proclaiming the kingdom and following the Messiah. So a disciple must make a radical commitment. So, G, so this author is saying, Jesus was saying, let the dead bury their own dead. I know your dad's about to die, but it's import, more important that you come with me. I know it's going to cause a scandal in your family and in your community, but following me and proclaiming the gospel is more important. And I underline that a, a disciple must make a radical commitment. That's going to be one place where these two, um, these two explanations coincide. Jesus is just saying, if, if you want to follow me, you've got to be all in. The man, the, the example before him, man, uh, you know, there was this, uh, uh, a scribe came and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and um, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure? In other words, are you sure you know what you're getting into? You better be ready when you say you're going to follow me because it's going to be tough. It requires a radical commitment. You got to know what you're getting into. Okay, so Jesus, putting this in context since we're reading all of Matthew, Jesus comes and he's proclaiming something new. You've heard it said, but I'm telling you, you got to he's you got to be all in with this. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And if you want in that kingdom, you want to be a part of it, you it requires radical commitment. You have to be all in. Okay, so this is one explanation um and it, you know, in the Bible class today, when we when we begin, as we do every every Sunday, we begin saying, "If you have a question, comments, let it be known." And we spend a lot of time talking. So if you don't stick around for the Bible classes, a lot of times you're missing a lot of good discussion related to these topics and the, any of the sermons. Even the bad sermons can end up with some good discussion in class. So um, so anyhow, stick around, and you can ask your questions. 
So, so explanation number one, the father's not even dead yet. You know, this is, this is kind of putting, putting some perspective on the man who was saying, let me bury my dad first, now come follow you. Um, really? Your dad's not even dead yet and you want to go wait for him to die? No, you got, if you say you want to follow me, step, take, start taking steps and follow me right now. So Jesus is requiring radical commitment. Okay, so now here's explanation number two. The father has died. The father really is dead. And his bones will need to be reburied in one year. Okay, so this is something that you and I were in a different place in time. We read this and we don't get this, but here is what they did back then. So consider this commentary is from IVP. Bible background commentary, um, that's what this is, Um, from the same passage. Their commentary says, family members, and by the way, this this commentary, the Bible background commentary, is it really puts in perspective things from a Jewish cultural in that place and time, Middle Eastern mindset. So, So that's their goal here, and that's what they hit at. And I tend to go with this one based upon... If this is factual, it just is fits. So here's their commentary. Family members would not be outside. Pause that. The way they phrase it here caused, caused me to misunderstand a little bit, I think. I had to think about it. They say family members would not be outside talking with rabbis during the mourning period. So they're saying just in this first sight, during this first sentence, during the time of mourning, it was common for Jews to go find a rabbi to talk with. Someone dies in our day and culture, you might go find, you might contact a spiritual person to talk with. For Jews, they contact a rabbi. So that makes sense, doesn't it? So they're, but they're, and they're saying that during the mourning period, it was common. And that makes sense. So family members would not be outside talking with rabbis during the mourning period. The week immediately following the death. So as I said before, you know, well, okay, i got to keep reading. I, I'll, just, I'll zip it and read. The initial burial took place shortly after a person's um, decease and would have already occurred by the time this man would be speaking with Jesus. So you get this? They're placing it. This man has just buried his father. Maybe the previous day. He might have died. Uh, this is Sunday. Maybe the guy died yesterday, and they buried him yesterday. And now today is Sunday, and he's speaking. He's gone to seek out a rabbi. He's found Jesus. Okay, so. But, after, uh, but a year after the first burial, after the flesh had rotted off the bones, the son would return to rebury the bones in a special box in a slot in the tomb wall. Thus the son would be asking for as much as a year's delay. We're going to talk more about that in just a second with some pictures. One of, a, one of an eldest son's most important responsibilities, by the way, our passage doesn't specify eldest son. If it had, I would have been like, oh, this is clearly what this is talking about. It doesn't specify that, so I'm just saying this is a, this is a maybe, but this is the one I'll probably go with. One of an eldest son's most important responsibility was his father's burial. 
Jesus' demand that the son place Jesus above this responsibility would thus sound like heresy. In Jewish tradition, honoring father and mother was one of the greatest commandments, one of the ten. And to follow Jesus in such a radical way would seem to break this commandment. Okay, so again, here, this is radical commitment. If you're going to follow Jesus, you you can only do it in a radical way. So what that passage is talking about, you see an artist rendering here of what a grave would look like, what a tomb would look like. Um, I do believe that sometimes they did bury people actually in the ground, dig a hole and bury them in the ground. But more often than not, this is the context for how they would bury folks. This is a Jewish tomb. Um, The last couple of sentences there, it says, the body was left on a burial bench in the tomb for one year. After desiccation, after decay, the bones were gathered and and permanently placed in an ossuary. So a An ossuary is the place for the bones. So where there are holes in the... You had one big place for the body to decay, and then in the wall you would have holes where you could put a box in there that had the bones in it. So the bones would be collected. So the place where the the body was laid would be used over and over and over again. Dead body for, for one family. A dead body would be put there. A year later they'd collect the bones... Put the, put the bones in the ossuary in a box, put it to the side, and it's ready for the next family member to die and be buried there. So that's the, that's the idea. That's the picture of what would happen. And the idea was that the bones, for them to be ready to be placed inside of the box and put in the hole in the wall, one year. That's how long it would wait. they'd have to wait. Here is a picture of an actual... Um, tomb, um, and you can see a big opening there. I don't know if that's where the body was going to be laid on the on the left side of the picture, um, but you can see the smaller holes, and I don't know the size of those, but you can tell they were smaller, and that is where the bones are going to be placed inside of. Um, so that's the picture here of what happened in the time of Jesus, and so that's why when we get to this second. Uh, the second explanation is, yeah, the father truly has died. And since the son is coming to Jesus as a rabbi, that may be an indication that he has just died within that week. And the son is, during his week of mourning, has gone to seek out a rabbi. Okay, and so now when he says, I need to bury my father, in our, men, or in our mind that would be to re bury the the bones to place them in the ossuary one year later so that is from the ivp background uh, bible background commentary and i will say this is that both agree on this no matter which explanation you get to is this the point is that a disciple of jesus must make a radical commitment If you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, it requires radical commitment. And if you, uh, having just talked about those two explanations, and then you get to um, sing the song that we sang about living for Jesus, it takes on just all a whole new intensity. Are we truly living 
for Jesus. Is our, is our commitment to him radical so, so much that we're going to leave important and necessary things in the eyes of the world? We leave some of those things behind so that we can follow after Christ. So keep that in mind and uh, let us uh, discuss a few more things. Because I want to ask from Luke 960, um, there, is, there are some additional words that are provided by Luke that Jesus said in this incident. He said, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that answers the question, well, what's more important than burying my father a year from now? Or what's more important than burying my father he's about to, because he's about to die soon? You know, what's more important than those things? Or what's more important than anything that I really want to do? Because those were those are good things. That he was saying, no, leave those behind and come and radically just fall, leave them and follow me. So what's more important than what we want? And the answer is to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So the coming and following Jesus is doing what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He went and proclaimed the kingdom of God. Go and proclaim. What was the, the gospel? The good news. Proclaim the good news. The gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when you read this week the, the, the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, and, and he just calls it, you know, I, I think of the idea of murder. You know, and he, he doesn't just call us to not murder. He says, don't even get angry at somebody. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's kind of hard. That's pretty radical. You know, if I actually get angry at somebody, Jesus is saying I've already murdered it. Am I got to stop being angry? Well, we just want to say, no, I just, I got to, if I get angry or when I get angry at people, I just got to make sure I don't react. I got to go put myself in time out for a little bit and not punch somebody or honk at somebody or whatever it might be, you know. And Jesus says, no, quit getting angry at them. That's radical. The old law says, you know, don't commit adultery. And Jesus says, no, don't even look at a woman to lust after. And I'm like, man, that's, that's not an easy thing to do, to lust after somebody. But we've got to change the way we think about people. This is a radical thought. Jesus calls us to something that is difficult and hard. If you want to follow Jesus, you better think twice before you take the step. That's what he's saying. And what is the greatest thing? And you think about when Jesus called, the very first time he calls somebody, they were fishermen. And Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. So in other words, your world is, as you you're used to fishing in water, you know, you're used to making money. I'm about to change your life so that you are proclaiming life to people everywhere you go. You are going to be going and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. It's a radical change and it requires a radical commitment. And that is what we are to be about. All right, so a couple of thoughts uh, simply here on making a radical commitment. Because that word radical, uh, first of all, um, be a radical follower of Jesus. You know, 
if I just said that and I, was, I wasn't talking to a group of people that know who I am or know what I believe, man, it, you, if I said that out on the, the street, be a radical follower of Christ, they would hear somebody, you know, well, what are you going to do? Pick up a gun and go where are you going to, you know, that's our, our mindset today is it, the, the word radical can bring to mind things. I don't know if it always does, but I would, I would venture to say it probably usually brings some very negative things, such as radical Muslim. What do radical Muslims do? They strap bombs to themselves and will go into a crowded place um, and set the bomb off, not caring if they destroy their life, um, as long as they destroy the lives of those that they are against. So th- when we think of radical, maybe you'd think of, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, we had a weekend where people were killed down in El Paso and people were killed in Dayton. Maybe you think of, when you think of the word radical, you jump to those things. Well, and, and so here's the thought. So t- today the term radical usually brings to mind, or perhaps brings to mind, Evil people who kill others. Here's the part where I would say, think about this. What do you learn from them? Well, they are willing to die for a cause that they believe in. So obviously, I'm not upholding those folks on a pedestal because their cause is bad. But what if your cause is the right cause? Do we have the same kind of commitment that they, those radicals have? Those people are properly called radicals because they have a radical commitment to a cause they believe in. Are we that committed to Christ? Because Jesus truly does call us to radical commitment. Leave your guns at home, though, right? Because Jesus was not about violence physical violence he was he was all about yeah warfare but it's a spiritual warfare go back and read the sermon on the mount again you've got to be all in and my 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 thought about being a being radically committed is let us overcome evil with good you know if we're going to counteract the only way to overcome the the radical evil folks out there is to be equally radical for good and for love and for truth. Go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. We need to be radically proclaiming Jesus who is filled with love and truth and telling others about that. That's what we need to be committed to. Um, and number two, um, just some thoughts of what, you know, what does radical commitment look like? And in my discussion there, we're, we're bringing to some mind to some things about what ra- a radically committed Christian would be like. What would they do? What would they look like? How can we know if somebody is radically committed to Jesus and they're not radically committed to crazy? We want, we want to be committed to Jesus, and that is a truth thing. It's not a, it's not something that we, like we see um, in the news. Okay, will we always see the results when we are radically committed, when we are truly going out and proclaiming the kingdom of God? Perhaps sometimes we'll, we'll see the benefits of that. 
Sometimes we'll see some negative things that will come upon us. That's true. We might be persecuted. But there are times that we might save one soul, and that might lead to something else. And we might see the beautiful results just by converting one person. Um, And speaking with Jerry, um, I don't remember his mother's name, but his mother was converted in the 60s. Is that right? Am I getting about the right time frame? Um, 51 or 66. It doesn't matter. A long time ago. Um, <laughs> and uh, she, um, from that conversion of one, then a whole household eventually came to faith. And there were, you count them up today, and there's like 60-something members of this household in Jerry's family who are believers because one soul was converted because somebody was kind enough to share with them and proclaim to them the truth about Jesus, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And then to be able to live a part, uh, be a part of a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that is not a part of this world, it's not like this world, but to be a part of God's kingdom here on earth, that's that's what we, we have the opportunity to be a part of. So make a radical commitment. You know, it's it's not an... an by the definition of what Jesus was saying there, it's not easy. It's radical. It's hard. So the challenge for you today as you think about this, whichever one of those um, explanations you want to come up, which, whichever one of those two explanations you'll grab onto, or if you have a different explanation maybe that you gravitate to, I don't know. But no matter what you come away with, the challenge is radical commitment. All-in commitment. You are a part of something that you can't be halfway in. You're either all the way in or you're all the way out. And the question is, could you be convicted in a court of law as being radically committed to Jesus? You know, you, you get called in. You know, like the early church. Hey, they're calling, a, they were putting people um, into, taking them to court. That's what the apostle, or what Saul was all about. Could you be convicted of being radically committed to Jesus? And that's just forcing us to think about what does it really mean? Would I be convicted? Do people really know what evidence in in my life is there? What's the evidence that I'm truly a radical follower of Jesus? And every step that Jesus takes, I'm right there with him. You think about that and then live your life in that way this week. Uh, the next song we're going to sing is an invitation song. It is song number 501. Every one of these words, every one of these verses, we can't sing them all. Well, we could, I don't recommend it. But every one of these six verses is calling us and you you hear it now in the context of what we've done it's calling us to radical commitment take my life it's not just take a little bit of my life or help me in some way to follow you in some way no it is it's radical commitment it's all in and so christians you challenge yourself this week think about am i all in like this am i radically committed to jesus like this and if you're not a christian um Maybe, I don't even know if I say sing these words or just consider them or what, but, you know, this is, this gets at what Jesus demands. 
This is what he's asking and what he's demanding and what really he's offering. Because <laughs> it, it's, it's to be thought about, it's not to be taken lightly, but once you go all in, this is where true joy, where true peace is at. Where the world can't offer peace like Jesus does. It's not going to be easy, but it's peace. It's purpose. It's hope. It's the answer for everything that's wrong in this life and difficult in this life. Jesus is that. So consider today, and if there's anybody who needs to respond in any way, whether a believer wants the prayers of the church or somebody who is considering becoming a Christian and you know you want to be all in no matter what, even when it's hard, even with the the things that you don't even necessarily understand, but you are in because Jesus is the, the one that you love. When you know he's the one who died for you, if you want that, then please respond today as we stand together and sing. Hey.